This is The Art of the Hookup, your straightforward guide to a successful sex life. I'm Georgie Wolfe, an Aussie escort and total hookup enthusiast. Welcome to episode 10. When I look back at my younger self, there's so much I want to tell them about having good sex. Today I'm talking with writer and sex educator Eva Sless, sharing our stories of the stuff we wish we'd known earlier. Before we get started, just a reminder that this podcast is adults only. And with that said, let's get into it. Hi, this is Georgie here. I'm a Melbourne writer, sexual adventurer and independent escort from Melbourne, Australia. My mission is to talk honestly about all the stuff you need to know to have a great hookup. And by that, I mean finding the people that are right for you, negotiating amazing sex and walking away feeling good about yourself. This podcast episode is all about the sex advice I wish I'd learned earlier. If I could hop in a time machine and go back to when I was 18 or 20 or 25, I'd have so much to say to my younger self. Also joining me on this time travel journey is Eva Sless, a writer, sex worker, and the author of The Teen Girl's Guide to Getting Off. Hey. Hi. Welcome to the time machine. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I've always wanted to jump in a TARDIS. Well, I mean, we sort of are anyway, because you're in Queensland, which is in different time zones, so we are sort of time travelling, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's so cool. I feel so cool right now. So, um, who are you and what are you about? Like, can you give us a little spiel about um, about what you do and what you stand for? Sure. So, I'm Eva, and as you said, I'm a sex writer, a sex worker, and a sex educator. Um, And I guess what I'm all about is teaching people to understand their own pleasure um, and understanding other people's pleasure and consent and looking Mm. at, I guess, sex and sex education in a much more holistic way than we ever have learnt at school or um, in those sort of classrooms. Where I, what I'm at is, is pleasure, consent, more than biology and babies and taking the stigma and shame and I guess fear away from sex education. Mm, sounds awesome. And this is something that sex workers do and it's something that sex educators do. So you've sort of like, uh, you you know, you're ticking a couple of boxes. There. Yeah, yeah. And I find that, you know, all of my sort of past lives kind of have come in to work together to, to sort of create the, the Eva that exists today, which is sort of a mixture of education, uh, sex work and sex advice and writing. How long have you been in the sex industry for? Oh, golly, what year are we? 2019. I'd say I'd been in the industry on and off for about 19, 20 years. Wow, that's amazing. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot and it's definitely grown and I've grown through it. And and like I said, I've sort of worked in a, you know, I sort of say pun not intended, but I've worked in a lot of different positions from, you know, brothel manager and hostess to uh, working as a topless waitress mm-hmm. to working as a full sex sex worker mm. um, to then working as a sort of mentor to other young sex workers um, and, and all of that sort of comes into my writing and my speaking and my, my talking to people. Yeah, great. And you currently work in a in a sex shop too, yeah? Sort of. I used to work in store. Now I do a lot of copywriting and behind the scenes stuff. I'm not actually a face of the store anymore. Ah, oh, great. I think I uh, I probably got the um, got the idea from when I saw you on uh, SBS recently. Yes. Well, the shop that I was in was actually the shop that I work with and work for. But I and I used to work behind the counter in the shop, but um, things have changed, and now I'm sort of behind the scenes. I do a lot of their website and advertising copy, and yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so just to clue our listeners into that one, um, Eva was recently interviewed by SBS um, in a piece around sex education and its importance just to everyone, to kids in particular, but also to everyone. Yeah, it was sort of, it was looking at, mainly at pornography in the veins of sex education and, and does it have a place within sex ed? Uh, that was sort of... Is it actually useful? Yeah, yeah. Is it useful? Should we talk about it? Should we teach about it? Uh, and, you know, I'm firmly on the school of yes, porn is a very important aspect of sex education in a lot of ways, not mm. necessarily, you know... And we should be talking about it. We should be it. because the kids are seeing it. And that's my main thing is it's it's not necessarily about, oh, kids should watch porn. It's kids are watching porn. So we as adults, teachers, guides, parents, we should be teaching them about what it is they're seeing and how to, I guess extrapolate that that information and that stuff and Mm -hmm. then learn to deal with it because it's very confronting yeah 
Yeah, you need that extra information as well, yeah, right? Yeah, you do. And this is, this is I, I feel like this would actually be a really great podcast episode in itself. In fact, I'm going to make a little mental note. <laughs> we may have to come back to you for that one because, sure. gee, that's a good topic. It is, and it's, it's a big one. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And then also just listening to you talk about that stuff, it just put me in mind of um, all the stuff that I'd wish I'd known when I was younger. And this is, yeah, stuff about porn that I needed to mm. know, but also just stuff about sex in general that I, I really needed to know. And when I look back now at how I was when I was younger, when I was 18 or 20, and how I am now, I wish I could just take all the cool shit that I've learned from the sex industry mm. and just like pop it straight back into my head because, God, I would have been having a better time. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I'm sort of... Yeah, it would make such a big difference. So I guess, like, if this isn't too much of a personal question, can I ask, like, what your sex education was like when you were growing up, whether you got what you needed? Look, I'm actually really lucky and I've spent, as you you know, with the book and with other stuff that I do, I spent a long time talking to young people and people my own age and parents about the sex education they received when they were younger and mm-hmm. I found that I was actually really lucky. Um, firstly, I have great parents. My mum and dad are really open-minded and really um, able to answer questions and although I don't remember them ever sitting us down and having a, a talk, I don't remember anything ever being a taboo subject and we sort of learnt, I guess, through conversation. We always watched a lot of comedy and a lot of Monty Python and there's always sex and nudity and those sort of inferences. So mm-hmm. I think I got a lot of kind of ideas about um, about that sort of stuff in a very um, – it was a very mutual and sort of inclusive I guess, environment. For example, one of the first times I ever saw full frontal nudity is The Life of Brian. I was probably about nine or ten. And, you know, Brian opens the door. I was thinking of the meaning of life, actually. Yeah, and his penis is just there. It's not pornographic. It's just full frontal nudity. And then Judith, his girlfriend, is there and she's got the bush. And and they're just sort of standing there and they cover up a little bit when, when his mum comes in. But the tension in the room is not because they're naked and it's not because and, – and that was just very normal. And my parents, you know, they'd sort of – you know, it wasn't – um, difficult, you know, you would see your mum walking down to the shower with the boobs out or my dad in the shower, whatever, and it wasn't it wasn't ever sexual. It was just nudity is something that's natural. Um, so th- and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, it just wasn't. It's really cool to grow up in a place where nudity isn't over-sexualised because there's all these ideas that are, that nakedness is shameful and, it, and and we don't really know what other people look like so we don't know if we look normal, if our bits look normal. No, that's right. And, I mean, you know, we had the appropriateness of, okay, you've got to wear undies to school and you've got to wear clothes when you're on the bus and all that. But at home, nakedness wasn't a thing and it wasn't, yeah, it was just, that's just, it's just what you are in the shower or, you know, running under the sprinkler in the backyard because, you know, you live in a really hot climate or, or what. Like it right. just, it was never anything huge. Um, and so, so at home, you know, there were a lot of books around as well. I'm pretty sure my parents probably had the joy of sex and we would have looked through that a bit, my sisters and I. <laughs> I know so many kids whose first sexual education was the joy of sex on their parents' bookshelf because that was the era, right? They grew up in the 70s. It was more funny than anything. I think we'd sort of look at the pictures and go, oh, look, naked people having sex. And I don't think we ever really kind of looked at it as anything other than a bit titillating. But then when we came to school, I remember grade six, we had the whole sit down and watch where did I come from and what's happening to me. And I still as a sex educator I don't have a problem with those books I think they're great for kids I think some of the language can be changed a bit now and I think we've got to move away from that heterocentric penis and vagina is the only sort of sex that we have but for basic understanding of how babies are made for kids under the age of about 11 I, I you know 10 or 11 I think it's a great sort of little resource for parents um and kind of age appropriate like this is what it's like growing up you don't need all the information at once no you need little bits as it's appropriate as you get older and as you as on a need to know basis that's right right? and that's sort of how that book sort of works and similar to what's happening to me and then my year nine science teacher was incredible I still remember her um Mrs Alcock was her name and it's just a a, a (laughs) sort of you know coincidence that Alcock was my sex education teacher but sorry I'm laughing because I'm juvenile but like (laughs) yeah sorry Mrs but she was wonderful she we had separate sex ed boys and girls were split up but we all got the same lessons we just weren't in the room together mm-hmm. um, and we learned everything probably the only thing I think of back now and I think oh probably shouldn't have taught us that is part of contraception we learned about the rhythm method um, but this is 1991 or 1990 so it's still fairly long time ago and yeah. things like the rhythm method and looking at your cycle and the different ways that you discharge looked and felt 
was was mm-hmm. really new to me. I didn't know anything about fertile and infertile mucus and all and that sort of stuff. Totally so, gross when you're a kid too. Like, oh, weird, weird, like gross bodily fluid thing. Yeah, it was, especially the way she described it. Like, you know, fertile mucus is like snot and, and uh, infertile mucus is like clag glue and things like that. It wasn't particularly um, appealing language. But, but I did learn a lot and sort of um, – and I feel like I didn't lack anything in sex education – that I feel like some of the young people today are lacking. I think there could have been a lot more, uh, but there wasn't there wasn't as less as some of the people, like for, including my husband in a Catholic school and other friends of mine that went to different high schools, what they... It's hit and miss. Yeah, it depends definitely. where you end up. It depends on your teacher. It depends on the school. Um, you know, you could luck out and have a great teacher or great parents, or you might be unlucky and you might get nothing. And then, it, then it's just porn. Then it's porn you're turning to. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. There is no national standardised curriculum for sex education. So it really is dependent on the school and on the teacher and what they're willing to teach. In, in Queensland, there's absolutely no curriculum for sex ed. They don't have to put it in. At least in Victoria and New South Wales, there's a little bit of, okay, you need to create this as part of, whether it's pastoral care class, whether it's home um, home class, whether it's science, yeah. you need to have some kind of Something. sex education in there. And it's often thrown to biology teachers or PE teachers, and they're not really equipped to deal with a lot of those questions. No. But here in Queensland, if the school doesn't want to do it, they don't have to do it. Um, and so, and that would happen quite a lot. It does. It does. And then you, when you do have a sex education class, you'll have parents getting funny about what's being taught they'll pull children out of the classes they'll complain to the school and all it takes is one parental complaint for an entire program to be shut down um, and teachers to be put on warnings and things for using like teaching about a clitoris I heard of some poor science teacher in um in oh somewhere in Queensland a couple of years ago who was who was put on probation and stuff because she'd been teaching about the clitoris holy shit it's a bit like those people in America like the schools in America that aren't allowed to teach like um, evolution. Mm, mm. It's a bit like you like it's a, teaching not te- teaching people the clitoris exists is like telling people that the earth is flat. Like you'd have a pretty weird idea of shit as you grow up if someone doesn't point out that the clitoris is there. You'd feel pretty jit. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like because the idea of you know the word vulva or clitoris is looked at as obscene or erotic, and so they look at it as you're teaching about porn. And you know one of the questions they asked me in the SBS thing was how you know, do you think that we could get to a stage where in other countries they're using pornography to teach kids about pornography? Mm-hmm. And when we say kids... Age-appropriate kids. Kids that need to know stuff about safer we sex. We mean high school kids. We're not talking about five-year-olds, but that's, you know, the Twitter the Twitter folk like to talk about me wanting to show porn to children, which is not really the case. Hey, it sounds great on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, it right? doesn't it? Oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> but, but you've got to face it. When it gets to puberty and when we're 16 or 17 or 18, there's some shit about sex that we really need to know. And if we miss out, and some of that stuff I did miss out on, uh, it can take a long time to catch up, right? Which is why you wrote your book. I was doing a bunch of adult education workshops with, with women sort of over about 35 um, and into their sort of 50s, 60s. I think we even had a woman in her 70s come along to a couple of them and we were looking at pleasure um, and how pleasure works with the clitoris, mm-hmm. with G-spot, with sex toys, looking at all of that sort of stuff. And almost every single woman came up afterwards and said to me and the friend of mine who was running it with me, I wish I'd learnt this in high school. This would have saved me bad relationships, bad sex. I probably wouldn't have even got married when I got married and now I'm divorced and out there in the world checking out. this. I wish I'd learnt this when I was younger. And I thought, you know what? so do I. I'm, I'm going to start teaching kids this. And so that's how the book sort of started. I kind of feel like a lot of maybe, and this might not be true for younger people, maybe they're getting what they need, but certainly a lot of the, the women that, that I know, and myself included, didn't really start having good sex until we were well into our late 20s mm. or 30s because we just didn't, we didn't know how to do that. It had been, you know, we'd been taught that good sex is all about the PIV and all about the mm. dude getting off, uh, but there was not much talk about like female pleasure mm. or how to get yourself off or even that it was okay. And so we were just left in the dark. And I, again, I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but it sure as hell was mine. It's very, very common experience, that idea that sex is something that is done to you or that you give away, like giving mm. away your virginity or popping the cherry or all that, whereas men are taught that sex is something you can take and something you get and something that is for you. And and those lessons as, you know, as obvious and as subtle as they are kind of permeate into our psyches and we start thinking, well, sex is for men and my job as a woman, you know, if I'm in that heterosexual kind of PIV relationship is to pleasure the man. And so a lot of women have been taught to to gain pleasure from the pleasure of 
others, you know, whether it's you're a homemaker and you, you cook for your family and that's where you get your joy or you raise your children and that's where you get your joy or you, you're, you're, you let your husband sleep with you and that's where you get your joy. And we're not really looking at what about your personal joy that you get for you and for yourself? And women have been told for years that that's selfish. This is difficult, not just for women. Like this is, it sucks for us, but it also sucks for guys that are actually into genuinely pleasing women. Yes. Because when they start dating someone or they start seeing someone, they say, hey, I just want to make you happy. What do you like? And then their partners are completely flummoxed because like a lot of us don't even know how to ask for what we want. And so everyone's frustrated. Mm. And it's a really common common letter or email I get from men, especially when I write articles about female pleasure and about taking the time, a lot of men have said, you know, I'm trying and I don't know what more to sort of do or say to help her understand that this is about her pleasure. I don't care if I get my dick sucked or not today. It's about her and and she doesn't know what she likes. She stiffens up at certain intimate touching because she's been told it's wrong or dirty or, you know, oh, you don't want to, you know, I don't want a mouth on me. That's disgusting. You know, so many women forego oral sex because they think it's disgusting because they've been told it is. And this is something that your average dude is not trained to unpick. Like that's the kind of thing you go to your counsellor to help fix, mm. like your body shame, stuff like that. And anyone, and this applies to all genders, if we have like really bad body shame or hang-ups or communication problems, expecting our partners to magically fix that, like it just doesn't happen often. Often that can't, you know, we need help. We need proper oh, education. Just I think part of that comes from that early conversations about body and, and body autonomy and, and and pleasure and talking to young kids about it. Because, you know, I've often found, especially I used to work in kindergartens and there was a real mm-hmm. very specific difference about how the staff and parents would treat little kids touching themselves. So little boys with their hands down their pants, oh, come on, stop that. That's for your bedroom. Go on, you know, don't do that here. Little yeah. girls, stop it. That's disgusting. We don't touch ourselves. That's dirty. And, the, the, and that's, mm-hmm. that's three-year-olds that are being told this. And I think... Right. And that shit fucks you up. That fucks with your head. No. When you say that stuff, it really... Because we can't get that stuff out of our heads when we're older. So, you know, if someone slapped their hand once and said we were disgusting, like that shit really sticks around. It does. It really sticks there. And then you keep thinking, oh, that's dirty, that's wrong. That's, and so that starts into everything. And then suddenly, you, you know, you're, you're being told about sex and relationships, but you're also being told because so much sex education is just say no and don't give away your precious gift and all this bullshit, that it just it <laughs> solidifies those ideas that, that your body is, is only pleasurable for somebody else um, and that you've got to give that yeah. up for somebody else, but at the same time hold it into yourself because it's your special gift it's so confusing and so frustrating weird and then the other side of that is boys are kind of given this free range and go yeah play with yourself and yeah score chicks and yeah do all this without realizing that women and girls are getting the complete opposite lesson so so boys are told no push pursue you know you watch all those movies with the just keep asking her until she says yes and all the girls are you know and it's just this we need to be teaching mutual lessons and and i think there needs to be a, a blend of the two of look after yourself learn to love and pleasure and everything yourself and also be accepting of of you know other people but on your own terms Mm. never on anyone else's terms on your own terms and for yourself as much as it is for someone Mm. else and like this is a problem all and all genders are sort of stiffed around this because I often feel like dudes are told that they have to go out and make the sex happen uh, but they should and that they should know exactly Mm. what they're doing without anyone actually telling them so then there's this big pressure like you're not a real man if you don't know how to do sex Mm. properly but no one's telling them how to do sex but they just feel like they have to have a crack anyway and then like you said they're not aware that a lot of women are being told that their bodies are shameful and that we shouldn't be doing the stuff so then there's all these conflicting messages and because these boys aren't getting any proper lessons in sex they go off to porn sites which shows sex in a lot of different ways that is probably not quite appropriate for a young 16, 17 year old just experimenting in sex and they see the mm. the slapping and the hair pulling and all that, which I have no problem with if you know what you're watching. But if that's what you think you've got to go and do because no one's told you what sex is, it's this ho- and then they turn around and blame porn for it. It's like, well, if you just taught your young men what good decent right sex was with as a teenager it's a bit awkward and fumbling and there's this and this goes in there and you know and you might want to do this but yes and they would stop seeking as much as they say I mean they're still going to look at boobs and porn boys and girls all do we all did you know like 
and it gives them a it gives them a point of reference to go oh that's the bit extreme this is you know and there's there's nothing we give them nothing and then expect them to know everything my metaphor around this is like, you know, if, um, if no one ever taught you to drive, if everyone expected that you'd learn to drive all by yourself, magically somehow knowing, and the only way that you had to learn was by watching action mm. movies. But then whenever you asked your dad for advice on how to drive or whatever, he's like, oh, no, I can't tell you. You just got to figure it out on your own. And, and so you watch all these action movies and go, okay, this is what driving is. And then obviously, like, you're not going to be safe on the road, right? But that's when all you've got to look at is really extreme examples of that activity, you're not going to be able to work out how to do it safely. No, and I mean, I use that very same metaphor in my book, a lot of stuff about engines and mechanics and stuff to sort of talk about, you know, metaphor for the body, but also that idea that if you have never driven a car and, you know, we, we, we teach our kids all these different ways to sort of survive out in the real life, real world, and then sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, hand them the, the keys to life and say, off you go, go and, you know, have sex and uh, and haven't taught them anything about it. It's like giving them the keys to a Ferrari when all they've watched is the Fast and the Furious and go, well, you know how to drive. And if they crash, we're like, oh, it's your own fucking fault. Yeah, yeah. And then we don't. And then we do. We blame them when they wrap that car around a tree. Totally. You know, metaphor body. Like it's just you know we get into all sorts of situations and things in our life, and we and as adults and as young people we do. And one of the things that when we get into these situations that might not be ideal, we you want to be able to talk to someone about it. You want to be able to go to your mum mm. or your dad or your counsellor or your Anyone. friend. And with sex, yep. we've made that barrier so hard that when something does go wrong, kids are frightened to talk to their parents about it. They're frightened to go yep. and talk to the school about it or someone, you know, because of that shame and that fear. And then, you know, things happen. Kids get sick. Kids have unwanted pregnancies. Kids are assaulted. Kids are assaulting without realising they're assaulting. You know, there's all this sort of stuff that comes into it Mm -hmm. with young people not given the right lessons and the right tools about education. And then we we blame them when they turn into adults that don't know what they're doing. doing. And this is what your book is about, right? So this is, is this Mm. what motivated you to actually start writing your book? Yeah, it really was. It was the lack of education for for older women that were coming into the world sort of new, fresh, freshly divorced, kids had left home, you know, empty nesters, whatever the situation where they Mm -hmm. were starting this new phase of life and suddenly realising from either watching Sex in the City or Grace and Frankie or other kind of shows that really sort of showed these kind Mm. of empowering sexual women going, oh, Am I, I, am I allowed to do that? And giving themselves that permission to step out and go and take some classes or look into it a bit more and starting to realise, yeah, mm-hmm. this is something that we need to be teaching early because kids, I mean, kids are having sex early and they're, and they're going, but we're also trying to create these fully formed adults that can have intricate, respectful, intimate relationships mm. Um, and, you know, you're all going to have your heartbreak and you're fluffing around as kids and stuff. But as you go in life and you just, if you're the kind of person that wants to have a full-time intimate relationship with someone, if you don't know how to have that, it's not going to work whatever age you are. You, people sort of think, oh, you're going to turn 30 and you're going to know it all. And I'm 42 and I'm, I still struggle. <laughs> yeah. No, we're all still learning. And this is how you end up in bad relationships and bad marriages, like sexless marriages and stuff like that. It's like, well, we none of us really learned how to do this stuff and so we'll just put up with what we're given and that's kind of sad. Yeah, it is because we don't teach our – teach communication either so as part of the sex education that I do I talk about fluid communication and that constantly being able to talk about Mm -hmm. things because I mean I I look at couples who are in their sort of 20s or 30s or 40s or you know going up and you know they they're discussing buying a house and they're discussing you know maybe one day having children they're discussing all this but they can't discuss I would like you to go down on me or I don't like it when you do this or I'm I would really like to try this kink and I just say if you can't be closely intimate with someone on those sort of levels and you're creating this life together the the communication will break down I mean that's if you can't have intimate conversations about those sort of things with your with your partner yeah you know then then you're really going to struggle with other yeah with other intimate conversations yeah and conversely if you're good at talking about sex with your partner then maybe that's going to flow into other areas of your life. Maybe if you trust each other enough to talk about your sex lives and what you want and what you don't want, uh, maybe all the other stuff becomes a lot a lot easier to talk about too. I think it does. I think it really does. I think people, you know, I mean, I, I'm in a lot of kind of, I suppose you'd say, sexual lifestyle fringes. You know, I've worked in sex work. My, my partner and I, my husband and I are swingers. You know, I've worked in 
brothels. I've, I've go, I'm part of the kink community in some ways, you know, and I see these sexual kind of lifestyles that are based on trust, communication and consent. And these relationships are always yeah. so much stronger. So much and better. And so much closer. And it's, and it's not about being kinky. It's not about being, oh, we're just going to, you know, fuck in the backyard every night and hope the neighbours see it. It's just about communication. Um, and yeah, you can be, and the better you are at yeah, that. Yeah, it really is just about being able to talk to somebody about your inner things. That's it, right? But the kinky people and the people that are unusual, they're the ones that have been forced to learn mm. to communicate because you do have to be really good at talking about what you want yeah, to get absolutely. up to that stuff. And then as a result, often they end up having better relationships as a whole because they are talking about sex, basically. But if you could, if we could just master the talking about sex, even if we're just having regular, fun, romantic sex, that that's going to help, right? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to the language we use as well. You know, I've noticed in recent times, I mean, when I was in high school, the word vagina, we read word, a vagina is everywhere and we're trying to explain to people no it's actually a vulva and vulva is one of these words that's sort of coming up a bit more and and by the time you know my daughter finishes high school hopefully vulva will just be the word that they all use you know so I'm noticing the more that we talk these sort of words that people have always said were rude or or you know obscene where they're just body parts there's nothing more obscene than a vulva than there is to your elbow it's just a bit of your body and so when we sort of trying to teach kids about their bodies and young women about their bodies and young people about nipples and vulvas and vaginas and labia and clitorises these are just words that are as anatomical words and we and once we take the erotic erotica eroticness whatever the word is uh, yeah out of those words and just start looking at them as normal bloody things that everybody has and you know it's no longer a big deal it's no no and that's why I think you started at the age where you're teaching kids this is your nose and this is your eyes and this is your knee and this is your vulva and that's your penis and that's your this and it just becomes a word so by the time they kind of get to grade three or four and they're learning about life cycles of a frog and they start talking about the life cycles of humans and you know and this is the sperm Mm -hmm. and this is the ovum and this is the vagina and the penis those words are just words so by the time they get to high school and we can start saying okay actual intercourse and sex and and oral sex and anal sex and this is what pornography by the time you get up there it's easier the the kids these days are still snickering in year nine six education because she said vulva oh i'm sure I mean, I still do that sometimes too. And, and they're missing the rest of the lesson because, oh, she said vagina. Like, oh, it's just frustrating. <laughs> well, like, and I am a juvenile and I will sometimes start snickering at the wrong time. But <laughs> um, but we do need to get over it and we do just need to go, okay, body parts. Like, who gives yeah. a shit? Honestly, let's just talk about it. Um, so, like, maybe join me in this, like, I'm, I'm very enamored of my little metaphor yeah. here. But, like, imagine we do actually have a time machine. So we're going to, like, get in, close the hatch, <laughs> and then we're going to set the time to go back to some point in your history where you feel like you could have done with some really good sex advice. Like, where would, where would you want us to go back to? What age would you be? Ooh, probably about, say, 15 or 16, so kind of year 9, year 10. All right, so I'm dialing it in. I'm doing the thing. Yep, I'm really bad with sound effects. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going back to when you were 15. And what's the first uh, thing that you wish you had known when you were that age? You know, I really wished I'd known that it was normal and okay that girls were horny and got horny because I was insanely horny as a teenager. (laughs) Ah, Oh, my gosh. I couldn't keep my hands out of my pants. I couldn't keep other people's hands (laughs) out of my pants. Um, And being, you know, the early 90s and in a small small town of Canberra, which was not such a small town now, but back in 1991 or whenever it was, Canberra was a small town. Um, And everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody's business, so everybody knew my business. Uh Um, And it didn't really stop me. That was one thing. I've looked back over my sex thing. I think, oh, did I become a sex worker because I was just a big old slut in high school and everyone called me a big old slut and did I do it because I wanted attention did I do it because I wanted people to like me did I and I've extrapolated over the stuff and I thought no there were things I did because I wanted people to like me but the sex was Mm -hmm. very separate the sex was just because I wanted to have a lot of I just wanted to get off this really pisses me off. People are like, oh, you know, were you very promiscuous back in high school? You must have had daddy issues mm. or there must have been something wrong with you. And I'm like, no, I just yeah. fucking liked sex. I just really liked it and I found it interesting. And I slept with a lot of people in my early 20s and late teens because I was just interested and it was an interesting way to connect. But then all these people yeah. are trying to find all these reasons. And, I, and I, the reason 
I think the reason I sort of be a, was able to kind of look back and go, no, it wasn't because I did, I did desperately want to be popular in school and I wasn't particularly popular and probably part of that was because I was. Oh, I went the other way. I hated people. Oh, no, I wanted, I wanted to be Queen Bee and, and the cute blonde skinny girls that they were all at school and I wasn't. Oh. I was a short, fat, you know, kind of dumpy. Oh. Yeah, I was pretty yeah. in the same basket. And, and, so, right? and I thought, did I, was it just because I wanted the boys to like me and is that, and I thought, no, because once I realised that those high school boys were just shit and they'd tell everybody what we did and they'd laugh about it, I, I got rid of them and I started going out with a lot older boys um, and, and men that I probably shouldn't have as that age um, because I just wanted the f- sensation. I didn't want the, I didn't want to deal with the gossip side of it. Um, so while I was still a bit of a fuckwit at school trying to be popular and trying to kind of be the cool kid and which made me incredibly uncool, oh, I cringe at some of the things, um, I, I realised that my promiscuity was not part of that. That was just because, you know, I mean, I'm 42 now and I'm still as promiscuous as I was back then. Right. <laughs> so- Whereas I went the other way. Like I hated mm. people. I was socially not popular at all and I, I hardly ever went out anywhere the cool kids went. But then I was the person that was like picking up all over the fucking place, which was really like counter. Like I was this super shy, quiet person that on the side I was just like rampaging sexual maniac and it was really great. Like I'd rather do that than like go to whatever the cool kids thought the cool bar was. It wasn't that cool, I can tell you. I was going to say and then bitching about what everyone else was doing and like hating on other people for having sex. Like I hated that shit. I'm like, no, like that's all bullshit. And then I just go off and shag people. Yeah, it's so hypocritical, isn't it? Like because all the popular girls at school were all doing it and that was fine because they were the popular girls. But as soon as the unpopular girls didn't, it was very similar to the whole Puberty Blues thing. And I read Puberty Blues cover to cover a hundred times when I was in school. And I still read it every now and then because I think it's a really important book. Um, Then one thing that, you know, there was like, if you were one of the Debbie or Sue's, it was okay, you had a boyfriend, you could have sex. But if you were a Fran... And you were left in the gutter and treated like shit. And I was more of a Fran, but I didn't let the boys treat me like that because I gave up on them once I realised that they were like that. Um, good on you. So, you know, I think that's that's a good measure of my sort of independence and my um, and self-confidence in that sort of thing because – and looking back at it, but I let them treat me like shit in so many other ways, especially the girls, because I just wanted to be their friend. Like this is something I wish I knew when I was 17, 18, 19 – I wish I knew that there were better people out there and that I didn't have to settle for assholes because at the time someone comes along and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see this person's a bit of an asshole, but but maybe this is what I deserve or maybe everyone is like this and you just have to put up with it. And so I did. I put up with it. And you want to see the best in everyone. I think there's a great quote from I think it's Bojack Horseman that is something like if you view the world through rose-coloured glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. I remember that episode. Oh, it was great. It is so – I, I think of that line so often in my life, especially looking back at the past and the way that you allow yourself to be treated or you treat other people or, or whatever, right. is that if you, you either think the best or the worst of everyone, you're not going to get those signs, you know, because you don't think – You're not seeing the full no, picture. No, not at all. And, and that's yep. what it was very much like. So, yeah, I think that main advice for me would be similar to yours would be it's okay and absolutely normal for girls to get horny – and it's okay to find people that you gel with. You don't have to hang around with the dickheads and you don't have to put up with yeah. people treating you like shit because that's your group at school or that's your friendship or that's your gang right. or your crew or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I remember being so embarrassed about horniness. Like I, I, you know, would get wet and I would wipe it away before they'd got to touch me because I thought it was gross. Aww. Because... Because, like, pussy juice isn't okay. You know, like, weird. I remember being, I remember a very specific time, probably about 18 or 19, with um, with a boyfriend at the time, actual boyfriend, not just a hookup. And, uh-huh. yeah, if getting kind of making sure I wiped the wetness away. And that would have led to some really, I mean, the sex was never great that I remember. There's nothing I remember clearly, so it kind of been mind-blowing. But would have been probably not as good without a bit of good old lubrication down there. Oh, my God. I, I remember feeling really self-conscious about, like, cunt stuff, yeah. like that, that that they were stinky or gross or, like, yeah, like you said, that, that like, cunt juice yes. is gross and all that. Like, it just made me really tense. It was really – it's really hard to relax when you think that the person who's hanging out with you or going down on you in particular is, like, thinks you're disgusting. Yeah. And it's funny because I used to quite like, and I still do, like the smell of – vagina and cunt and, and especially when it's aroused and I think it's really I find it intoxicating you know oh yeah and yet totally. I'd be like I must be the only one no one else will think that so I'd try and make sure oh, that I didn't no. smell or I didn't it, it's so you know looking back now because I'm sort of you know sex guru confidence blah 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 love your body love yourself and I just think wow 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like all this confidence has taken a while to build up, right? And I, I didn't know I was into women when I was younger. So like I didn't have the chance to be with other women and go, actually, pussies are awesome. Um, and when that happened, it helped. Yeah. Well, I, I one of my very first sex dreams was about a woman and it was about Joe Loveday from a country practice and I still remember the dream <laughs> vividly and I was embarrassed every time I'd watch a country practice for the next few weeks afterwards I'd get I'd feel weird that she knew that I'd had a sex dream about her and oh it confused God. the fuck out of me yeah. because I was just like I'm um, I you know it was I mean being a lesbian was tease at my school if you're you're a lesbian was meant that you were you know ugly or you you know it was it was not cool to be gay um and and scary because you get attention that you don't want so you don't want people knowing that you're into chicks that's going to get you unwanted attention oh my god I don't think I uttered that sentence until maybe I was you know oh gosh at least until I'd left school and it was in uni or something and other people were coming out as bisexual and stuff and I'm like oh so Joe Loveday I didn't even know there was such thing as a bisexual and that was a problem because I knew I was into guys and I, I sort of had these funny feelings about women, um, but I didn't know what it meant. And if someone had pointed out to me that bisexuals or queer people or pansexual people actually existed, I would have caught on much, much earlier that I was bi. Right? Oh, that's the other thing, isn't it? That I, that, you know, going back to my high school sex education and just purely the time. I mean, we were still in grade six. I remember being told grade five, I think we were told not to share cups because you could, can, you might get HIV. So, oh, Jesus. You that's know, this really is, bad. I mean, that's a bit that later. That's right. a, late 80s and probably because no one knew at that point like people were actually nervous they didn't know how you actually transmitted HIV and Mm. now we know that it's just blood-to-blood contact or sexually transmitted Mm. but at the time there was all this panic around how you actually got it and people got super paranoid really paranoid and and you you know and and being called you know a lesbian or gay was was sort of the biggest insult in the world um and I look at my daughter now who's in year nine sorry year 10 um at her high school and her friendship group and she admittedly she's got a much nicer group of friends than I ever had and she's a much nicer kid than I ever was and I don't know what I've done but I've raised a great kid but the conversations her friends have and the and you know she's got a she's got a couple of trans friends and a couple of gay friends and the whole school is just like yeah you know it just is and I wish I wish for my school for my schooling that there'd been so much more of a rainbow acceptance you know because I think I think I probably would have definitely come out a lot sooner as queer and bisexual and pan or whatever I don't even know I just I just myself a hedonist I just love sex with whoever wants to give me sex um imagine all the fun we could have been having earlier if if we'd caught on yes yes Yes. and all the time that maybe we've missed because all that experimenting and learning takes time it takes years and I just hate the fact that I missed out on maybe four or five years of experimentation because I didn't know there was such thing as that it was possible to be into women and guys yeah I think that that sort of is one of the reasons I'm so terrible with women I really I like I have this joke that I'm like the sex advice expert who can't pick up women like I have a real hard time partly because I think I'm very nervous around women because women have always been quite have been bullies in my life in that sort of formative years but also just I never had that kind of experimental fumbling kind of awkwardness with girls I think I had my first girl kiss when I was about 16 I I sort of sort of was sex girl at my school but it was kind of we would we would kiss and hold hands and I think you know very cute but very very vanilla basic Um, I don't think I had my first sexual experience with a woman until I started doing sex work and was doing doubles with women and went oh wow this is what I've been missing out on like that's great sex work got me used to having sex with women Mm. and I was always very nervous and I wasn't sure whether I was doing the right thing until I started doing couples bookings at work Mm. and then I learned like I got to experiment with so many different women that I during the threesomes that I was like yeah okay I'm starting to get this now and I haven't really gotten confident about my my woman skills until maybe the last maybe three or four years so super super recent Mm. it took a long time of experimenting yeah I I still find myself very nervous around women and and being sexy with women because I always I just get I just get so nervous that I'm just also there's a lot of pressure and I don't want to you know and this is not a don't you know who I am but so many of the women that I meet through the sites that I work for or they meet me because Mm -hmm. they know me through my work they become very intimidated by me and I'm like no man I'm just some blue head bogan chick that knows (laughs) a bit about sex don't think I'm anything and they get intimidated so then I feel like I need to 
you got to bring it. That I'm, that bring what, and, it just beca- and then it just never happens. I've got a lot of friends oh. that I've met off dating sites that never went anywhere and now we're all really good friends and it's too weird to, to snog. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who wrote an article about this sort of thing and it's called The Lesbican Standoff and it's about oh, why it's women... it's a great article. It's yes. great. It's why women who are into women have sometimes have a lot of trouble actually getting it on because we've been so culturally trained to stand back and to be shy and to not ask for what we want and we've never had a chance to practice. No. with other women because all the all the you know all the disney stereotypes tell us how to pick up dudes and how to get with dudes but no one tells us how to get with yeah. women and so our whole lives we're like oh fuck what do i do i like that chick uh but yeah. i don't know how to say it and so i'm just going to stand over here and, and then look i think awkward. also you get that sort of toxic femininity stuff that comes into it of competing with other women and we're, we're against other women you know we've been pitted against yeah. other women oh you're not you're not as pretty as her or am i as good as her? who wore it better you know all of these kind of things that come in you know that we yeah. that make us feel like you know I'm not like other girls or you're not like you know I just I feel like we have had this build-up of ingrained competition that when you want to be a mutual kind of connection you're like oh are we supposed to be one-upping each other we are we you know and and I find I sort of you know as much as I fight against it I fall into that toxic femininity stuff a lot of of I'm not like other girls or competing with other women and stuff. It just on a subconscious level, as soon as I notice I'm doing it, I back myself out of it. But I realise, oh, wow, that's what my my life has been trained to be in competition rather than in comradeship with women. Well, it sounds like you had some pretty unpleasant experiences around that yeah. with bullying and that sort of thing, and that can really wreck wreck stuff like that. Yeah, shit. I, I look back on things and I think they're very mutually unpleasant. You know, I was not a particularly pleasant person, and I didn't like myself very much, and so I sort of put myself into situations that somebody else in with a different kind of um, self confidence probably wouldn't have. Um, but I also mm-hmm. don't feel like I was ever made a victim or I was ever kind of, you know, I'm very lucky in my life, you know, when, when, like you said before, when people would sort of go, Oh, were you, you know, from a broken home or have a uncle sleaze onto you, all these reasons why you might've, is that why you're like, a sex no, worker? I don't have any, I've got yeah. great role model males and females in my life. My mum and dad are great. Mm. They're very strong, academic, feminist minded, equal people who have always kind of awesome. supported each other. Um, my uncles are great. I've never been sleezed onto at a wedding by a drunk uncle or, you know, I've never been abused. I've never been raped. I've never had any of them. I'm very, very lucky and blessed in my life as a woman. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I know that, you know, but the awkwardness of those experiences and everything is something that, you know, I really look back on and just go, oh, I yeah. wish I could. I don't want anybody else to ever go through those sort of experiences of that awkwardness and that lack of understanding. Yeah. Take the awkward out of it. I wish we could take the awkward yes. out of it. Or what, what maybe I would have liked yes. to have known is that sex is supposed to be awkward and you're supposed to feel nervous. You're supposed to feel awkward. That If you try and dodge that stuff, it just gets in the way. Like own it. Go, yes, I'm fucking awkward. What's your problem? Yeah. You're awkward too. We're all awkward. Yes. The first few times you have sex, like you're probably not even going to get, you know, if you do, and when I talk about sex a lot of the time, because my audience is a lot of sort of cis and, and heterosexual kind of, um, because I do talk a lot about PIV and sex, but, I, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not limiting sex to that. But saying that, you know, the first time you have that heterosex, he might not even get it in before he comes, you know. Like, and if he does, it might get halfway. And then, and then, you know, you might feel really weird afterwards. You might feel like laughing or crying or your elbow's going to get in the way and your face makes weird. You might queef. He might, you know, all this stuff that you're not yes. talking You're just given these amazing kind of Vaseline lensed, 50 shades, oh, my God, I'm going to have a screaming internal orgasm the first time I have sex. Oh, my God. Ideas. The story in Fifty Shades of Grey of that the, that woman losing her virginity is like the worst virginity losing. Like that that bears no resemblance to reality whatsoever. It made me so angry. You know, I remember reading Forever by Judy Bloom when I was in high school, uh-huh. um, and we used to pass that book around the cl- and around at lunchtime and read the sex bits out. And one of the things that was always so good about it is how awkward it is. You know, when she first has sex with the guy that calls his penis Ralph, that's pretty much the only thing I remember about him. <laughs> it's awkward and it hurts a bit and it's, you know, and while I don't like talking about the fact that sex will hurt because it don't, doesn't necessarily hurt, it's going to be a little bit weird and uncomfortable and it's a completely different sensation than you have ever had before, you know. Um, even if you've used tampons, even if you've, you know, if you've not experimented with a you know, a dildo or a cucumber in a condom or whatever, that first time you have something internally inside you that's bigger than a finger or a tampon, you 
it's it's awkward and it's a bit uncomfortable it's a, and it's a different thing and it's yeah and working out the right, right angles all that stuff if god forbid you don't know about lube which no. most of us don't when we're that age then that could that could be quite painful there's actually i don't know if you've seen the their netflix tv series special but there's it's about this um this guy who has um i believe cerebral <laughs> palsy um and it's just really awesome and funny and there's this great sex scene where he loses mm. his virginity to a sex worker and he's a he's a gay guy and it is a really awkward losing virginity scene like he's in this awkward pose and the guy's fumbling around for a condom and there's all this like discussion like oh is that okay you know you're not in pain are you and he's like no i'm fine and it's just fucking awesome like that's how it happens happens it's not it's not candlelight and i love yous yeah exactly and that's the that's that that weird fumbling yeah and and i think you know because working as a sex worker and and being in that situation where i've i've taken someone's virginity i hate that term but that's you know that's in the frame of, of language that's what we use you know i it is awkward and i'm a professional and i've been doing it for 20 years and it's still awkward for the first time with somebody you're never going to deliver that amazing romantic experience where everything feels perfect because that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be awkward. No. And, you know, I have had a few people say, oh, the first time me and my partner ever did, you know, and we're high school sweethearts and we're like, oh, I love story, whatever. It, it can be, you know, and if you've also got that relation, I mean, a lot of the times the awkwardness and the, the pain and the discomfort is because of nerves because you're clenched and yeah. you're dry and you're not quite sure and, you know, it's yeah. very rarely to do with breaking through a hymen or anything like that you know what i reckon i reckon those people that are like yeah my first time was with my high school sweetheart and it was beautiful i reckon they still had some awkwardness and they had to fumble a bit it's just they've forgotten those bits yeah. because the other bits were so lovely yeah i think you're right i think you know nobody is a casanova the first time they do it no we don't nail it the first time no pun i don't intended. know anyone that has that screaming bodily orgasm the first time someone puts a penis inside them no i just don't it's not it's not real even orgasms get better. So, like, as you're learning your body, as you get older, what they found is uh, I have no basis for this. I can't quote the study, but that women have better and better orgasms as they get older and that it's been theorised that that's because they get to know their bodies mm. better and better as they get older. And the better you know your body and the more you're practised, the, mm. the better you feel. So it's almost like you can't, you're you not going to have the best sexual experience no. of your life right off the bat. Like, you need and, to do and- that learning, you know. It gets more pleasurable as you go. And as you as women sort of do get older and vagina owners get older, you know, you you your the the vulva and the labia and all that actually changes anyway. It becomes fuller and it, it's easier to um to arouse it with, with blood flow. The nerve endings become um you know, become a bit more sensitive. The clitoris because the clitoris is quite a large organ and kind of goes all the way down the side yep. of the vulva, it becomes more I guess it's um it matures. Yeah. Can I ask how um how have you found your book has been received so far from readers? So from the teens that are reading it or the parents that are buying it for their kids, like what sort of reception has come back from that? It's been amazing, you know, like it's 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 quite slow, uh it's steady, but because it's it's mainly available online um, and in a couple of bookshops in Melbourne, it's not something that people can just go into a bookshop and pick up. So I get a lot of the uh, when it, when something happens, like a newspaper writes about me or the SBS, suddenly a bunch of people come back to it. Um, but mm-hmm. so far, in the two years it's been out, we've sold more copies than I ever actually thought I would, and I've not had a single piece of negative feedback, which I'm surprised at. Wow. I'm surprised that no from someone that's actually you know, read apart the book. from a couple of people when the SBS thing came out, and they weren't that, but that wasn't really negative mm-hmm. feedback on the book. That was more on my my thoughts about teenagers and pornography. Um, but most of the feedback that I get is is from parents that have struggled to talk to their teenagers about sex and not sure how to so they've bought the book yep. read it themselves passed it on to their kids and then that opens up the conversation um i think two of the best bits of feedback i've ever had one was from a young um a young single dad who just had no idea he was just like i'm i'm on my own the mother's not around at all i've got two teenage daughters mm-hmm. and i don't know how to talk to them about it i don't even know how to give them the book so i've left Aww. it in the bathroom uh-huh. And the only reason I know they're reading it is the bookmark is moving. And then about a few months later, he came back to me and said, my, my daughter said, came up and thanked me for, for buying it and just leaving it in oh, the bathroom. Um, and the other one I got was this lovely guy who's a follower of mine on Twitter who we've been talking for a while and he got the book for his young trans son. So I've had a bit of feedback from, from trans 
girls and from fathers of cis boys and mothers of cis boys saying I've bought for my Mm -hmm. boys but this was actually a young trans boy who who his dad had bought it for him and he said we love it it is so Mm -hmm. open and accepting and basically just says just you know the overall message is is love yourself and and learn to love yourself um and your body and your pleasure and so that was really that was amazing to get that sort of feedback um and then I've had some really great feedback like um the Dr Eric Spankle Sprankle who's like yeah, we all the sex workers love Sprinkle. Yes, yes. He bought a copy um, and mm-hmm. started tweeting about it to his followers. So that picked up a bunch of sales in America and a bunch of interview requests in America and things like that because I was like, oh, my oh, God, God, Sprinkle likes my book. Ah! So that was pretty exciting. Um, but most, yeah, all of the feedback. I am kind of That's I'm kind of a little bit sad that someone like Corey Bernardi or Lyle Shelton hasn't picked it up yet and told everyone how terrible it is because I think that would bring up sales actually. Oh, we should go drop a copy on his doorstep. I totally volunteer. Might maybe egg him while I'm there. Yeah, just just get two birds, one stone. Love it. I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of sounds like that the message you're really trying to to get out there is that that um, that pleasure is okay, and that our bodies aren't shameful, and that our own pleasure isn't shameful. Sometimes you need that older cousin at the sleepover to tell you what your period's going to do and what boys. Alike and all that, you know, you that's someone that you trust that is older than you that knows stuff, but isn't your parent and isn't you know, but is someone that and that's sort of what I wanted to come across within the book and I, and I'm told quite a bit that that's that's the that's the way I my I guess the feeling of the book comes across is that I'm just that sort of slightly older wiser cousin divulging the all cool the secrets. Auntie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's totally the impression I got. Um, can you tell us where people can find it? Yeah, that would be sure. Really great. So if you're in Melbourne, you can get it um, at Hairs and Hyenas um, in uh, Johnson Street. And you can also get it mm-hmm. at Pictures and Pages in Coburg, which is a fantastic young adult bookshop. It's amazing. I love it. Um, and then you can also buy it online at uh, Labouche Books or Trenwick House Publishing. And then it's also on Amazon mm-hmm. and Booktopia and all of those sort of sites. Um, Great. And just to repeat, it is called The Teen Girl's Guide to Getting Off. It is The Teen Girl's Guide to Getting Off and all the things you won't learn highly in high recommended. <laughs> I mean, hell, probably highly recommended for your average woman anyway regardless of your age it's probably worth checking out yeah thanks so much for um chatting today like this has been really awesome awesome chatting to you i love this podcast i've I've been sharing it everywhere i think you're fantastic you're a legend cheers thank you have a great afternoon thanks for listening i hope it's been as good for you as it's been for us if you want to learn more about having great hookups i've got a book launching in september check out my website artofthehookup.com for all the info please share this podcast with anyone that you think would benefit from hearing this stuff spread the word as well as the love and let's make the world of hookups a better place